the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome into the show. I'm your host for the day, Chad Byrne, Certified Financial Planner. I want to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Or you can shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. I want to go through a quick review again. What's going on in earnings season so far? Um, what a year in the stock market. I mean, you, had, you know, S&P 2015 basically up with dividends. And then 2016, great year. 2017, shaping up to be a great year as well. Are we actually getting the earnings, though, from these companies? Let's take a look. Because so far, 74% of the S&P 500 companies have reported uh, earnings surprises, so beat their expectations. Now, of course, a lot of times expectations lowered once in September, but th- we're expecting good numbers for this quarter, for the third quarter of 2017, because what you're comparing to is a year ago, and a year ago, the energy sector was getting crushed. That was the tail end of a full year, basically, of just getting decimated with low prices on oil. And so that's bringing the the total blended earnings, the S&P 500, up. But we we got kind of a split. I'll go over that in a minute. Um, We have the forward 12-month price-to-earnings ratio on the S&P 500 is 18, so it's not cheap by any means. The five-year average is 15.7, and the 10-year average, which includes the depths of the Great Recession, is at 14.1. So you can look at earnings and you can look at revenue. Earnings can increase if revenue is flat or even declining if a company can cut costs quicker than their fall in their revenue, right? Um, And that's we had a bit of a revenue recession last year, I think it was. And so what's happening this year? Well, let's take a look. So far, blended sales growth for the third quarter is 5.8%. The majority of the companies in the S P five hundred are already reporting. So not too bad. Um, you know, obviously we have this thirty six percent return on so called Fang stocks, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet. And is that right? So let, I mean let's take a look. I mean when you look at the revenue and the earnings growth, the S&P 500, so far it's 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 pretty nice to look at, right? But where is it? It's really kind of split because if we look at the earnings growth, energy is up 136% from the same quarter last year. 136% because it was, like I said, from the depths. Oil prices fell so fast they couldn't cut costs quick enough. And then they've cut costs quite a bit by shutting down production in certain areas and the price of oil has come back up. So not only is energy at a 136% increase in earnings. And this is, remember, the sector that nobody wanted last year. Everybody was selling it. Usually it takes a year to turn around, and then who knows? Energy materials so far doing pretty well this year and next year likely to continue. Energy on revenue is up 19.9%. Material sector earnings up 10.5%. Revenue up 15.2% in materials. 
real estate, this is, you know, as of this last year, real estate used to be lumped into the financial sector in terms of reports, but it's very different. So they finally pulled it out. So right now in real estate, we have an 8.3% increase in revenue and uh, on earnings, a 5% increase in revenue. Okay, so earnings up 8.3, revenue up 5.1. Healthcare, we have revenue up 6.4%, and so far on healthcare, revenue up 4.7%. But this is where we get interesting. Industrial, the earnings growth is down about 0.2%, okay? And the revenue for industrial companies up 6.4%. So this is where you start to, to change. Consumer discretionary, telecom, utilities, financial, earnings growth, all negative compared to last year. But in most of those areas, it's positive, except telecom. I mean, look, telecom, you've got decline in earnings and a decline in revenue. Same thing with utilities. So, so keep that in mind. It, it really, this is why people, you want to own a little bit of everything. A lot of the stuff that nobody wants the previous year does better the next year. Like international stocks, emerging market stocks, really lagged. Um, most of 2016, it was up, and then it fell back, so it continued to lag. And then this year, so far, we're getting these great returns of the S&P 500, but emerging markets and international stocks have outperformed the S&P 500 by quite a bit. So you have to realize that those things happen. You got to own a little bit of everything. Now, one of the things that you also need to realize is that we have decent numbers coming out of the S&P 500. We have a big boost potentially to small cap and small cap value stocks as a result of this tax package. Really, as I've talked about the last segment, what I like about this tax package is going to be good for lower to middle income families. It's going to be good for retirees that have just enough to retire. They're going to pay less capital gains and dividend interest potentially, and they're going to have a higher standard deduction. It's not a lot for business owners. It's um, I, I don't see a lot of job creation out of this. I don't see a lot of uh, things that get me excited for the simplification of the code, as I've been mentioning in the last hour. But there is coordinated global growth. And now is just the time to make sure you're participating, but also to make sure you're not overextended in terms of your risk tolerance. Because when the correction comes, and it will come, and I don't know when, and I don't know why, it comes out of left field, the mistakes are made when you invest emotionally. So the mistakes could be made now because you are a person that typically is comfortable with a 60% stock, 40% bond allocation, and you've gone up to 80, 90, 100%. You got the greed in place. It's a new economy kind of a feel. So you're going above your risk tolerance. And that correction comes, you'll be the first to sell. Or if you're a person that sells at the bottom when you should be buying, those are emotional mistakes instead of staying the course and rebalancing at least once a year, if not twice. In retirement, you're rebalancing typically more on a quarterly basis, peeling off the gains out of the stock market and replenishing the growth. What else did I wanted to hit on today when it comes to these, these revenue issues? The other thing to look at is if you're trying to say, what do I want to invest in? Where's the bargain? So you get these questions all the time, and I was reading an email that distracted me. What should I invest in? What sector should I invest in this year that you think will outperform next year? Nobody knows. What you have to do is not move all of your money into what you think is going to be hot next year. What you have to do is look at your portfolio and see what you don't own enough of. For example, most portfolios are drastically overweight in 
large cap growth oriented stocks and they don't own a lot of value oriented stocks a lot of uh, portfolios are overweight in us just in general and don't own a lot of overseas you should have at least 20% of your stock exposure overseas if not more now, if we do get something that allows cash to repatriate into this country, it will likely cause a decrease. Um, it, it will likely cause a little bit of a correction in international markets, just because it's you tend to it, when the dollar jumps a lot, you tend to have a bit of a correction in emerging markets, and that could be a great buying opportunity for you if you haven't done that, if you haven't had any exposure overseas. Uh, and then after that, if we you know kind of continue on, we do have this global. We, we have international stocks, even Europe, doing better than expected. We have emerging markets doing better than expected, and U.S. is doing well, but not cheap. Where you do have some cheap stocks overseas, you do have a growing middle class overseas. So continue to make sure that you look at your portfolio at least once a year. January is a good time to rebalance because you can move those gains into the next year. So if you rebalance and you have some gains that are taxable, if the market does dip, you can do some tax loss harvesting and offset those gains in a strategic manner. Um, so start putting your shopping list together. Don't ask, what can I move all my money into? Do you think it's going to do better next year? Start asking yourself, what am I missing out of my portfolio? Am I overweight in large growth versus large value or small value? Do I own international? I'm going to get your calls in the air. It's 1220 Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. Don't forget to sign up for the event that Rob Black and I are doing November 16th. In Los Gatos, Retirement Income Strategies, State Planning. So, uh, you want to transition your portfolio as you get to retirement. That's what we're going to be talking about. Now, this segment, I wanted to talk about four issues for retirees to consider if this tax proposal goes through. And the fourth one really is, is either way. kind of blends in a little bit. The first thing to note is this increase in the standard deduction that's being proposed. Now, to explain how this works, when everybody files their tax return, there's actually three calculations going on. One calculation that's most common in the Bay Area that most people use is itemized deductions, where you itemize your mortgage interests, your property taxes, and things like that. For people that don't have much in property taxes or mortgage interests, they just take the standard deduction. So, that's the second way it's calculated. And then for people that have high income and well, just kind of now it's medium to high income, plus a ton of deductions, they get hit with what's called the AMT tax. Under the proposal, the AMT tax is going to be repealed. Uh, a lot of the deductions that cause you to get put into AMT are going to be reduced or eliminated. And in general, there's going to be a big increase in the standard deduction and no more phase out of the personal exemption. What this means for retirees is that your mortgage is no longer, for many people, going to be a tax deduction. For a lot of retirees, because you're well into your amortization schedule and mortgage rates are so low, a lot of people have mortgage rates at the 3.85% range or lower, their, their interest deduction and property taxes just aren't going to be enough to be bigger than the itemized deductions. So, a lot of retirees should carefully consider paying off their home, even more than ever. Now, I used to say, never do this three or four years ago. Then rates continue to drop, and bonds continue to go up in 
interest rates on bonds continue to go down, and it created this issue where it's like, hmm, maybe you have too many stocks, and what you need to buy is bonds. Bonds create an income stream with interest, and you use that to pay things like your mortgage. So if you pay off your mortgage, you won't need as much interest, right? So it's kind of this analysis that you have to continue to do. But here's why you do it. Let's say you just look at California municipal bonds. Now, if you look at the ETF CMF, I don't own it. I'm not recommending it. It's just a way to look at the California municipal bond market as a whole. The yield is 2.08%. Now, maybe your mortgage is at 3.85%, but your mortgage right now is a deduction. So, really, you're only, let's say your effective tax rate is 20% federal and state because it's a laddered approach. So, there's a margin rate, there's an effective rate, there's your tax bracket. The effective rate. If it's 20%, then you're really only paying 80% of that cost of that mortgage, right? Because you're deducting the rest. So that lowers your mortgage to about, oh, you know, a little, but right about 3.1% true cost after taxes. So a lot of times in the past, you could take your cash, you could invest in tax free bonds that were earning more than your after cost, the after tax cost of your mortgage. That's not the case because your California tax-free bonds are earning 2.08%, and your mortgage after the tax deduction is only about is about 3%. So your mortgage is still costing you more than what you can get out of those bonds. And now, if you're not able to deduct your mortgage anyways, because the personal exemption and the item and the standard deduction is just higher, it's just better for you. Now it's a true cost comparison: 2.8%, 2.08% on tax-free bonds versus your true cost of your mortgage at 3.85%. See what I'm getting at? Now, if you pay off your mortgage, you can reduce your outflow and earn more over time. Now, that's the thing. That's time. There's negatives to paying off your home that you need to consider. Number one, no flexibility. Once you put the cash into the mortgage, it's gone. It's losing money at the rate of inflation. You just gave money to the bank. So if you were to need that money later, it's going to be much harder to get it. It's hard to get it out by way of a reverse mortgage, you're very limited. And who knows, maybe reverse mortgages aren't there anymore in 15 years when you need it to pay for things like nursing home costs and other things like that. So you need to do your financial planning first and make sure that you're fine. You have a plan to pay for extra costs in the future. You've done a good job on really itemizing your expenses and knowing what your retirement costs. Do not make this kind of a move without a very careful and detailed cash flow projection of retirement. There's also opportunity costs. Like, what if rates go up in three or four or five years where California bonds are super attractive again? You don't have that cash anymore to be able to take advantage of that change. It's stuck in your home. Also, under this tax proposal, you are limited on interest deduction um, uh, to $500,000. So, if you pay off a loan that's over $500,000 that you're currently able to deduct the interest, if you pay off that loan and then try to get another loan to pull the money back out later, you might be limited on your deductibility. So that's something to keep in mind. All right. Now, medical expenses, this is another one where retirees need to be really careful because medical expenses, because the standard deduction is going up and the, the phase out of the personal exemption is going to be repealed, it looks like they're taking away medical expense deduction where you can typically deduct medical expenses over 10% of your income. This is not good for people that are retired and older. Uh, medical costs for in-home nursing care in the Bay Area cost about ten grand a month. 
And most people would write that off if they were faced. Most people say, I want to spend every last dollar I can staying in my own home. I don't want to go into a nursing home. Nursing home still costs, you know, just as almost just as much. And you could typically deduct those costs as medical expenses and you can't anymore. So if you have a lot of medical expenses this year, you're going to have a lot of medical expenses next year. Try to prepay as much as you can in 2017 in case they take that away. Recently, we were looking at a plan where somebody had a lot of medical costs in 2017. They had some EE bonds that were maturing next year and no longer going to pay interest. So they're going to wait next year and cash them in. When you cash them in, you pay a bunch of federal taxes. Well, we accelerated that. They're going to cash them in this year because they have so many medical expenses that's going to offset that income from those double E bonds. Essentially, we saved them about six grand in taxes by telling them to accelerate taxes into 2017. So talk to your CPA before the end of year about those issues. A final thing that I want to talk about, selling your expensive Bay Area home and moving. Under this current plan that has been proposed, you might lose a whole lot of the ability to exclude the capital gains on your home in the Bay Area. Right now, you can sell and exclude up to $500,000 of capital gains when you sell your home. But that is going to be phased out by $1 for every $2 you earn above $500,000, your adjusted gross income. And that sale of the property lumps that in there. So that's going to negatively affect the ability to sell your expensive home and move out of the Bay Area. If you were going to do that next year, I might consider doing that this year as part of a very detailed, well-thought-out plan, consult a broker advisor before taking any action. But look, it could cost you a lot more next year. Also, you have to five out of the last eight years unless instead of two out of the last five years. That's how often you can use the exclusion under this plan. So there's a lot of limitations going forward on this. Next break, we'll talk a little bit about also merging in the idea that a big tax event can cause you to pay more in Medicare Part B. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. We'll be right back. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burns, Certified Financial Planner. Let's talk a little bit about this idea that, okay, you sell your home, you move out of the Bay Area. Uh, typically, you exclude up to $500,000 if this tax package goes through. That's going to be limited. Um, the other thing that can happen that I need you to know about as you go into retirement, if your income is over certain amounts, you think that you're going to only pay hundred and well, what is it, nine bucks a month for your Medicare? Well, if you're just starting to file for Medicare or it's coming up, that's 134 bucks a month. But if your income is higher, you are going to end up paying up to as much as three times the amount for Medicare for the same exact coverage. You're going to pay three times as much as your neighbor. So if you're an individual tax return, for example, if your adjusted gross income is over 214000 or if you're married and it's over 428000 instead of paying 134 bucks a month, you're going to pay $428 a month. And this can hit you for three years. If your income stays that high, it's going to hit you forever. Sometimes higher income people forget to budget that in. They just look up Medicare Part B and they put that in their costs and they inflate that at 3 or 4%. But no, you could be paying much higher. Now, there's reasons that you can qualify for reconsideration or an appeal of that increase in premiums, because sometimes it happens as a result of a one-time event that boosts your income way up, and then you're paying these high premiums for three years. 
Some of the reasons could include a marriage, divorce, or being widowed. Like in a divorce settlement, if you get a bunch of taxable income as a result of the settlement, you can sometimes get around that. Let's say you sell a rental property or an income-producing property. Your income goes way up, but it's a loss of an income-producing property. Sometimes you can apply for a, you know, a reconsideration. Changes or termination of a pension. Sometimes pension plans are paid out, or you get a settlement from an employer due to a company closure or bankruptcy that causes a high taxable income. You can try to avoid that payment. But that's something that sometimes you get as you go into retirement. Um, for example, we're doing some planning for a person right now, and they've got a ton of Apple stock. And the plan is, is that, yeah, obviously we need to hedge and whittle down that Apple stock because it's too much of their overall portfolio. Um, their entire retirement success is based on that stock. And so, obviously, for the first several years, we're going to create a lot of income from that stock. We have to be really careful to say how much taxable income are we creating out of that stock is the single stock risk more important than the higher Medicare premiums of an extra 300 bucks a month almost? So some things you got to weigh. Now, in that situation, the single stock risk is so large, and you never know when that single stock risk can get you. Um, I mean, just look at for, let's take a look at Nordstrom's. Everybody loved Nordstrom stock a couple of years ago retailer just crushing it as they moved into more and more Nordstrom's rack. And then all of a sudden people stop going to malls because of Amazon or any kind of Amazon effect. Amazon's affecting tons of different stocks. You get these stocks that all of a sudden fall 25% and your retirement plan that was working at the current rates no longer work because it, you had too much single stock risk. So you've got to get diversified. But when you do diversify and create tax events, you sell property, things like that, you have to consider how it changes and affects your things like your Medicare premium as you turn 65 and you retire. Very, very important. All right. A couple of other things I want to talk about. This was, uh, there's an article on Think Advisor by Marlene Satter and it's a good list. I like lists and people really like lists. It kind of gives them an idea of what they can look at their own situation and say, are they on track? What do they need to think about? Now I have the 10 pillars of retirement income planning. So if you're right at retirement or you're in retirement, if you don't have a very clear plan for those 10 items, you need a new plan. This is more of a 15-point checklist for those that are just thinking about retirement. Maybe you're 40s, 50s, and you're trying to say, okay, what, uh, what do I need to think about? Well, first of all, don't choose a retirement date based solely on your age. Just don't. You have to do it based on what you want out of life. Maybe your retirement is just, I want to do something different. Maybe retirement is a dirty word for you and you want the ability to have enough income from various sources, whether it's dividends from stocks, interest from bonds and income from real estate that will allow you to change careers and do something different. Maybe more philanthropic. Maybe you want to go back and you've been a high tech person, but you always wanted to be a teacher, but teaching didn't, you know, give enough money. So now you want to give back. Um, don't choose retirement days based solely on your age. Picture what you want it to be and then create strategies and goals around that. Don't stick all of your money in stocks. As you get towards retirement, you need to reduce some risk and diversify your income streams, whether that's real estate, bonds, dividend paying stocks, things like that. Number 13, don't dive into annuities. Now, no load variable annuities that have guaranteed income sources are a good 
for a portion of your bond allocation in your retirement accounts, but that's no load. A lot of times people get close to retirement, they look at the stock market, and it's either a scary situation like 08 and 09, um, or the markets are at all-time highs, which there are 70% of your lives, so they say, oh, I'm going to get into something that guarantees income so I don't have to worry about it. And they dive in the, into these annuity contracts that are extremely in- expensive. Yeah, they have guaranteed income for life. You can't outlive it, but there's no inflation protection, and it the fees are so high, it cuts into the actual value of the account. So if you die, there's very little left for your spouse or your kids. Steer clear of those high fee annuity contracts. Number 12, keep track of all your retirement accounts and potential sources of money during retirement. This comes into play all the time where people work for a company that had a pension and they forgot about it. And pension plans don't tend to send out statements. And so we'll get these oh, hey, I'm getting a buyout offer from Johnson & Johnson from this pension. And I look in the financial plan. We had nothing about it. We never had any information on it. And um, it's because people forget about it. Or they forget about a $5,000 401k at a place where they worked 15 years ago. Um, there's no excuses anymore because you have options in the cloud. You have Dropbox. You have OneDrive, uh, Google Docs. Scan stuff. Keep track of it and make sure you're aware of all of it. And a good thing to use is uh, things like mint.com or any kind of tracking things where you can link accounts electronically and see all of your accounts in one place. The other thing, too, in investing, number 11, is don't set it and forget it. Well, you should do that with certain things like how you contribute to your 401k and make sure that you're automatically increasing your 401k contributions every year with inflation or with bonuses as you get closer and closer to retirement, you need to keep an eye on your portfolio. When you're younger, you save and you save and you save. And as long as you get diversified between you know, U.S. and international stocks, you could end up fine with passive investing, active investing. It, it'll all good as long as you continue to buy. But when you get closer and closer to retirement, you, you have to pay attention. You have to rebalance more often. You have to peel gains because... Timing the market doesn't matter unless you're in retirement and you need the money. You have to make sure your timing isn't bad. In other words, that you're not having to sell at a decline in order to keep food on the table. So you need to have some extra cash on the sidelines. Number 10, do not be unrealistic about rates of return. And this is catching a lot of people. The S&P 500 has averaged 9.6% since 1930. But you cannot run your financial plan like that. PE ratios are a bit high. So U.S. stocks, you might want to use the, the, the more conservative approach. In fact, we just went through a decade, guys, because of the 2008-2009 recession where a global diversified balanced portfolio averaged about 5.5% over the last 10 years because we had that huge 48% decline in the S&P 500. So before you retire, you should make sure your situation could continue if that's all you received over retirement. If you went through you know, two decades in a row that looked like the last two decades, you need to make sure that you have enough to retire based on conservative rates of return. Do not use rates over 6%. Even if that's what you'll likely get in the future on stocks, you'll probably still continue to get that. You actually own some bonds. Bonds are at historical low on interest. Cash is historically low. When I got into the business 24 years ago, we could lock in CDs and fixed annuities at 6 and 7%. Can't do that anymore. So be conservative on your expectations. Number eight, 
do you have any other income sources in retirement, like a pension? How will that affect your spouse? When should you take that? 62, 65? Is there a cost of living adjustment? Is there inflation on that? Um, will that affect how much you need in bonds versus stocks? Do you expect any other income sources in retirement? Number seven, how about longevity? Does it run in your family? Maybe your parents passed away at a much earlier age than expected, but now there's medical advancements that can cure or put off the reasons why they passed away. Or maybe they passed away because they weren't healthy in terms of eating habits, but you are. So don't just run off your parents' longevity. Look at the rest of your family and then your, your lifestyle. And keep in mind that a lot of us will now live past age 100 because of medical advances. There's huge advancements in, with te technology, healthcare, and science all coming together right now. So make sure you have a plan for longevity. Number six, before we get to the rest of them, we'll have to hold the other five after break. Um, what do you need in retirement? Are you expecting to need a fairly high level of income in retirement? And that could just because of not only your lifestyle, what you like to do for fun, but what about your health situation in general? What about your grandkids and the rest of your family and how much you're going to need to help them? So have you truly gone through your cash flow and thought about the rest of your family and what's going to make you happy in retirement to how much income are you really going to need? Take a quick break. We'll be right back with another five on this 15-point checklist. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you want to find out more about me and my team of Certified Financial Planners, practitioners, just go to chadburton.com or newfocusfinancial.com. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for the event that Rob Black and I are doing together Thursday evening, the 16th at Los Gatos Retirement Income Strategy. So sign up for that quick before it fills up. Let's go over a 15-point checklist um, for pre-retirees, just thinking about retirement. Um, so we're down to five. And one of them is just really, have you, have you already managed to save a sizable amount for retirement, knowing whether or not you're on track? For example, at 35, you need two times your income already saved. Otherwise, you're behind. So find out in this whole step of process, are you way behind? If, if so, can you cut expenses to increase contributions? Can you invest in your career to make more money so you can increase contributions? You need to think about that so you can have the type of retirement that you want. And sometimes it's even changing careers into something that you know you'll be able to do for a long period of time. If you're intensive labor, well, that's hard on your body. If you haven't saved enough and you know you're going to have to work till you're 70, you might not be able to do what you're doing until then. So you need to get into something different. The other thing to note is that how likely are you, for number four, to use some of your retirement savings to pay for another goal, uh, like kids' education? Yeah, you always wanted your kid to uh, pay for their own college because you did, but then they get there and they just really won't, or they can't, or it's harder for them to get a job based on the workload that they have. I don't know. Maybe they're living with you because they majored in something wrong that I talked about before, or maybe your lifestyle changes and you decide you want to slow down the pace and you want to vacation more often, live more often on a cabin at a lake somewhere and you need to purchase that. And that's how you want retirement to be. So we need your savings to pay for a different goal. Number three, is it becoming more and more important for you to leave a financial legacy for your family or for charity? Maybe 
um, you're realizing that uh, your child, as they become older, may not be as successful in in their work life because of a learning disability or something else that will limit their income. So it's very important for you to leave something aside for them. Or as you've aged, you really want to give back based on your success. So you want to set aside and carve out a certain amount that you want to leave for charity that you don't want to be available for your own retirement. You say, I'd rather work five more years so that I can leave this X amount of dollars for my favorite charity. Number two, if you're still working, how stable is your career? Are you about to get Amazoned? Are you about to get replaced by artificial intelligence or a robot? You know, if you're in a career where the relationship is is really key, um, you're probably okay. But if what you're doing is somewhat monotonous, anybody could be trained to do it, and then any robot could be trained to do it, or the decisions that you have to make to do something is just a simple yes or no based on a certain set of circumstances, who knows, attorneys might be replaced by artificial intelligence. As you go through a certain series of questions and answers on whether or not something is, uh, you know, legal or not legal, I guess. I don't know. I doubt it totally replaced, but just heard a conversation on the plane regarding the issue of that and Watson by this, uh, couple. Um, so you, you also have to look forward and say, okay, you've got a high income, but you know, you're in a situation that if Amazon steps in and competes, you could be gone tomorrow and realize that plan for it. What are your other options? Start networking now. Um, so you can continue to have high income and save for retirement. And finally, is your asset allocation up to date? Is it matching your date of retirement? Now, I love retirement date funds for younger people that don't want to choose 10, 15 different funds in their 401k. If you want to get a 2050, 2060 retirement fund that's mostly in equities and it's automatically going to be rebalanced for you every year and be a little bit more conservative as you age, it's fine. But I cannot stand, in most cases, the bonds that are in the retirement strategy funds. So if you're going to retire in 2020 and you've got most of your portfolio in a retirement 2020 date fund, I think it's not the way to go. I do not like the buying choices. Pretty much all you're doing is you pay higher fees in those retirement strategy date funds and you're paying extra fees on simply bond funds. And the choices aren't typically that great. So check your allocation. How should you do this? This is a point in time where people really look in their 401ks and review their allocation. And then fortunately, this is the time after a big jump in the market where people make the biggest mistakes they possibly can. And that's choosing the funds that have done the best over the last one and three years and the four and five star funds. Those are two areas where it's pretty much you're going to potentially underperform the next three years if you put all your money into a fund that was the top performer in the last two years. It's just how things rotate. Now, if you hold on over 10 years, you'll probably be okay, but stop overweighting based on how the fund did over the last one and three year and whether it's a four or five star fund. That is past performance. I would rather look at a fund that said, okay, this fund has done really well over a 10 year period, but it's lagging over the last one and three years. I don't own any in that asset class, whether it's like small value or emerging markets. And hey, I look at the manager tenure, and the manager's been there for over 15 years. They'll likely do well over several economic cycles. That's the fund that you should buy. I would cover up the one and three year returns on your 401k investment choices. And as an approach to this, look, there's different levels of investing. There's 
passive investing in index funds where you're just getting market weighted like the S&P 500. And then you the next step you can add strategic beta or smart beta ETFs in there which basically take the index and they put some rules on top of it. It's like the next step into slight active management where they'll do more weighting based on you know, all stocks versus just the biggest stocks. They'll weight more towards value. They'll weight more towards profitability or revenue growth. Um, that's the next step. And then you can add active management on that once you have over 250000 especially in the area of international emerging markets and especially in the area of bonds when you get closer and closer to retirement. So, but at least rebalance once a year. Once you get to your 60s, you should be looking to rebalance more on a quarterly basis and in retirement on a quarterly basis because you're peeling off your gains and replenishing the cash that you spent. If you want to get a little bit more on this strategy, make sure you sign up for the event quick at uh, newfocusfinancial.com or chadburton.com. While you're there, you can check the links to Facebook, Twitter, iTunes for the podcast. It's all there for you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.